Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of M365 Voice. I'm Antonio Mayo, and we've got Sarah. I'm Sarah Halsey. And I am Mike Madarani. And today we have another special guest with us. We have Joanne Klein, uh, Microsoft MVP and Advanced Compliance Specialist. Uh, we've known Joanne for quite a long time. We're very happy to have her on the show. Uh, Joanne, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on the show today, you guys. It's a thrill for me to be here. Um, I am first and foremost an independent consultant. I work with um, most of the uh, compliance features in the back end of Microsoft. So work across industry verticals with my customers. And I'm also on a consulting um, uh, arrangement with Microsoft right now, working on the advanced compliance suite as well. So I'm all about the compliance features. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, and uh, we have drinks with us today. So just to let people know. We do. We do have drinks, drinks today. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers to everybody. And to our listeners. <laughs> Joanne, you have your famous margarita, I think. This is a gin greyhound. Uh, yes. I was yes. going to ask about the greyhounds because you, you greyhounds are a popular drink as well. They are grapefruit and gin in this one. You can also do it with vodka, but it's it's equally delicious. I've discovered. <laughs> Very nice. So um, I wanted to ask. So I'll start off as you know. We kind of go round robin and ask questions, and sometimes multi part questions and interrupt each other with questions. Um, I wanted to ask if you could tell us a little bit about your role at Microsoft. So that's fairly new. And yes. I think uh, many of us in the community were excited to see you join Microsoft, especially on the compliance front, because you've got a lot of great expertise there, and we love seeing that go to Microsoft. Can you tell us a bit about what you what you're doing there? For sure, it's a it's a very interesting role, and um, as I'm getting into it, I'm learning more about kind of what uh, Microsoft is looking for out of this role. The official term is global black belt, but really, what it is on the advanced compliance features. Uh, which I'll go into a little bit. They've kind of split it across four pillars. They've, you know, there's lots of features in the back end that are in that area. And we are basically um, help own that technical win for customers who are looking to get into the compliance features. So we might come and explain what the features are about, kind of give, give a little bit of a roadmap of where the features are going. Um, sometimes, uh, kind of really understand what it is the client is or customers wanting to do, maybe work with them, identify some gaps that might be there so we can take it back um, to the product team because we really are a conduit between the customer and the product group and the product marketing group. So that is a big part we play and we help kind of stack rank and prioritize these gaps and requests coming in from the customers uh, back to the product group. Uh, so it's um, really a good way of getting the concerns of the customer kind of right in front of the product group's eyes. So for that, me, I'm, you know, learning all about the different products, which is a lot. And even though I do specialize on some within there, but I should be able to speak to most of the products in the back end in the compliance area, which as you know, is quite a few things. So for sure, there's a steep learning curve even for me. And I was in the compliance area um, almost exclusively before I came in, but I really focused in on 
specific areas with the customers that I work with. So um, just getting used to the the environment. Uh, it's a very busy uh, company, as you know, lots of work going on on many different fronts. So it's been kind of a, a cultural experience for me as well, kind of you know, getting up to speed on what it's like within Microsoft and what all the different roles are. That's been a really big part of this for me, actually. Great. Mm -hmm. It's quite a big switch going from, and I know that you worked for multiple customers, but yes. going from becoming an independent consultant to working at a company as large as Microsoft, and even though you have a great network at Microsoft already, completely different coming in and trying to figure out how to yeah. navigate an enterprise that large. It, it absolutely is. And uh, yeah, I have I have about four or five of my own customers, uh, and I still do, in addition to this, smaller ones. But yes, I, I'm an independent consultant, so it's kind of a team of one, and then I work with, you know, my customers. So, um, um, you know, I work with them to do whatever it is we're doing in the compliance area. But now I'm a very small part of a very big team all working together. So even figuring out the acronyms of the teams and who does what and what the roles and responsibilities are, um, it's it's been a fairly steep learning curve. And I'm still learning. Today I was looking up what something meant because I, uh, you know, you're in a meeting and, and acronyms are flying around left, right, and center, and you at the end of the meeting sometimes you're not quite sure, um, you know, what would, what was said and. Hopefully I wasn't assigned anything out of that. But anyway, it's 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 good, uh, but it, there is a learning curve and I'm just kind of taking it a day at a time, not, not letting it get ahead of me too much, if I can help it. <laughs> well, I, I, we often like to jump in with, but I'll let my podcast mates jump in with questions first before I do, if you guys have I'm going to do something completely unprecedented. I'm going to back up and let say, Mike, why don't you go first? Oh. <laughs> Thank you. We always tend to kind of fight and then we we ask multiple mini questions before we ask the main one. So okay. yeah, absolutely. So with 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 your experience in the compliance uh, world in M365 and working closely within the black belt position, uh, what advice do you give for organizations that um, starting with M365, whether it's small, medium or large, and they want to kind of get to start using some of the compliance products within within the platform. What advice do you give them in general from a high level perspective? Um, yeah, so usually we start with kind of the, the broad conversation. Um, and that's really uh, my role. But but more important than that, I think that is a great place to start. So even though, you know, teams might come in and they have uh, a team and they want to know how to protect this certain type of document, it's we can do that, but it's better to have kind of big picture in mind. How are we going to address this um, across our tenant as a whole? Uh, what what are our maybe um, protection tiers we're going to have defined? What is the framework within within which we're going to do this? So Microsoft is really trying to provide some guidance on some practical guidance on building that framework for organizations. Um, I know uh, Erica Tell is on the pro product marketing team for compliance and great. Uh, 
fantastic role for her. And she's really trying to put some guidance together for customers so they can uh, kind of have nowhere to start. I don't know, you could call it a playbook, you can call it a framework, you can call it the 10 steps to get you there, whatever you call that, uh, kind of work from build that foundation and then work up from that. So uh, by the time you get to your team and you're sharing files within your team, you've already got the framework and then you can start kind of uh, based on the capabilities of Microsoft at the time, what are we going to implement to help us um, either mitigate some risk or mm. apply some control, whatever it is you're trying to do with your content. So I'm not sure if that answered your question, um, but to me, it's it's the right approach, even though it seems like it's kind of dipsy doodling around the actual thing that, you, you, that you're going to end up configuring at the end. If you haven't done all of that homework and, and laid that foundation, um, you will struggle going going on from then, I believe. I yeah, think I that think. that's a really good point because, um, and I love the phrase dipsy doodling because we're going to have to use that one. But I think <laughs> it's a really good point because otherwise you tend to be myopic and focusing on one tiny little detail um, as opposed to, because it isn't just about how long do we retain our chat and channel conversations in Teams. That has to be part of a much larger conversation about what is it that we're after? Um, what are we going to do? How much risk? are we looking yeah. to be able to handle or mitigate and things like that? Um, yes. So one of the things that I think is interesting is coming at it from a large enterprise perspective. Um, if you're going to go down the path of doing automated classification, that's fantastic. Many organizations though also rely heavily on end users to be able to apply sensitivity labels to their own emails and documents. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something Antonio and I have talked about quite a bit on this podcast and, and in other things that we've done that it can be really hard because your solution is only as good as your end users yeah. all understand what your labels are and when to use them appropriately. Yeah. Um, what guidance do you like to give your customers, practical high-level guidance about how to run an education process or program around your sensitivity labels to make sure that your users understand them? Um, I 100% agree with you. First and foremost is to make sure the decision makers and the executive sponsors understand how important the end users' engagement and understanding of, of what it is you're rolling out is in the grand scheme of things. That's that's the ball game right there. If they aren't aware of what your classification system is and why they're being asked to do it. Um, you can throw all the automation and technology that you have on that problem and there's still going to be gaps in there that, that are missed. So that that's kind of thing one. And then is kind of layering on what options are available to you. License is gonna come into the picture because generally speaking, as soon as you bring in automation into the picture, your licensing uh, level goes up. Um, so it's, it's, the, it's the cost sometimes of, of more compliance or being more compliant. So you wanna try to leverage and lean on that automation as much as you possibly can. Um, and then there's little bits and pieces all over the place that you can can do as well to kind of inform users in the moment when they're working with the content. 
DLP policy tips is one, uh, a link on the sensitivity labels for find out more or whatever the word is, to link to some larger governance, compliance, I don't know what you want to call it, probably not compliance because that's not a word that end users can relate to. Broad, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and, and put all kinds of things on how you're going to control, maintain your tenancy, your environment in, in terms that are going to resonate and make sense with them. So, you know, not written in records management speak or in privacy risk officer speak, but in, in words that will resonate with, you know, an information worker at large. So, um, you know, a few things you can do. Not any one of them is going to solve the problem, but I think you got to come at it from a bunch of different angles. But um, I was talking to somebody earlier today. So security and privacy is, is everybody's responsibility. It's not just a team on the org chart. It's everybody. And uh, the sooner organizations can kind of realize that and get in front of it, I think the, the better off that they'll be. So, so staying on the theme of large organization, let's say, yeah. and let's say you've got, you know, you've had that that large discussion, right? That that broader discussion about your security and compliance roadmap and where you want to end up and so on. Yeah. Um, when you work with organizations that want to deploy the compliance capabilities at scale. Yeah. Keep in mind, Microsoft has a particular definition around what compliance is, right? And it, it's a fairly broad, kind of become a nebulous term, uh, depending on who you talk to. Um, yeah. when organizations want to deploy some of these capabilities at scale, what type of suggestions or recommendations do you have, or what kind of challenges do you see organizations running into, right? And, and if just to, to focus that a little bit, when you look at things like, let's say, retention labels that you want mm -hmm. to deploy at scale, mm -hmm. or sensitivity labels, MIP, that you want to deploy at scale, mm -hmm. some of the other capabilities, what are your thoughts about challenges you run into when trying to place across a large organization lots of people lots of content lots of sites lots of teams um i'll answer this a couple fold one is i understand the difficulty in doing that it's it is extremely challenging for organizations to be able to do this at at scale like any large organization their data landscape is complicated. And um, so I, I think Microsoft's answer to that, and, and um, I, I think any tool that's trying to lay on top of that has to rely on automation, machine learning to help some. Um, but even at that, I, I don't think the products have caught up with the demand that's out there right now with the way um, the modern workplace is going, right? Like yeah. content is being produced all over the place. Uh, records managers are freaking out because this is getting out of out of our control. Um, so I don't have a really good answer for that, but I think a pragmatic approach is to First of all, understand, um, come to terms, I should say rather, with the fact that you're in this collaborative environment where there's going to be all of this content in places that maybe you didn't have to concern yourself with before. So when I think about 
and I'm, I'm going to put on my traditional records manager head uh, hat rather. They are most of them are very concerned with kind of the the wild west of the modern workplace, right? Um, yep. So, kind of. I think uh, you need to decide, well, are we, um, how are we going to strike that balance? Are, are we going to, you know, put the brakes on and try to control this and, and move it elsewhere so we can control it or, or not? Um, so I'm not really answering this right, but it kind of depends on your, um, your company culture, the regulatory requirements that you need to be beholden to. Um, and I think your expectations, and I'm going to, I see you, Antonio, and I'm going to horn in anyway. Go ahead. Um, because one of the conversations that I know that I often has is setting an appropriate expectation. Because if you're going to do automatic classification, there's a certain level of um, percentage of error in terms of even auto tagging. But if you're going to manually have employees tag, you're going to have a margin of error that's larger and you have to be willing to embrace the fact that it's not going to be perfect. So your you might have content that's not flagged as the most sensitive data type, even if you need it to be. You might have content that is overly flagged as being your most sensitive type of data when it shouldn't be. And how do you talk to customers about that? Because they have to assume a certain margin of margin of error, and I bet it's a larger average margin of error than most of them would like to think it is. I have had that same conversation and uh, half the time it lands okay, half the time it lands very flat. Um, perfect is the enemy of good, but um, some organizations are, I think maybe trying to get too perfect before, before they start. So sometimes I use the reverse argument. Well, I mean, we're not doing anything right now. So let's just do something yeah. um, and maybe take more of a, a kind of a risk based approach to it. Then <clears throat> let's make sure we've got all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted uh, before we, we start. Because to your point, Antonio, there are at scale, there are gaps in the auto apply capability, right? I, I, I can think of exceptions um, all over the place on where that's not going to fly. So I think it's you said improve over time. Well. But. Yeah, I think you said it very well though. Like I think I do think you answered that question very well. Cause like the way I've seen it is you kind of have these three different trends that are all hitting us at the same time. So you've got this trend of records management being modernized, right? We're coming yes, from yes. the old school um, uh, requirements of DOD 5015-2, uh, moving into ICA yeah. module two, moving into other, you know, universal RMS and some of the more, uh, I'll say modern approaches that are not necessarily yet ratified as a standard, but we're getting there. We're getting right? there. So you've got that trend. Yeah. You've got this other trend of um, uh, collaboration and remote work where we're all, yeah. many of us are now working remotely and we wanna be able to collaborate better on our content. 
And then the third one is you've got this notion of zero trust that's hitting us yes. as well. Right? Organizations wanting to move to a model of zero trust yeah. where you're validating identities and devices and, and policies and, and yeah. uh, data and applications. And through that, you're enabling people to work in ways that we didn't used to, right? I can work on my home right. PC, I can work on my work PC, on my phone, on my tablet, um, in a coffee shop, at home, everywhere. So yeah. those three things with people creating content everywhere, mm-hmm. all kinds of content, mm-hmm. um, I don't think the technology has necessarily caught up to that no. from a compliance perspective at scale. Like I think I, it's really good. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, it's funny you say that because I was just talking to somebody about zero trust this morning. And in addition to that, if you talk about the phrase security and compliance, they're often said together. Mm. But of those two, the security vertical, we'll call it, is is much more mature in the fact of they've got deeper technology um, expertise in most organizations. They've got fairly well-refined processes and tools. On the compliance side, although records management and and the compliance um, school of, of thought and body of knowledge has been around for decades, within the modern workplace and the tooling, that is fairly new and is, is quite a bit behind the security side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think because of that, the tools will get better, I'm confident over time, but it's it's just lagging a little bit behind the accelerated growth of the modern workplace and like you said, the multi-devices and, and the identities and the, the data. I mean, it's it's just, it's exponentially growing and the compliance side need, needs some time to catch up to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the zero trust does not only talk about the devices and the security and the multiple identities, it's more, and you, I think you've talked about it a bit yourself, it's all about how do I trust the users that can classify and tag the content properly? Um, being working remotely, um, mm-hmm. a lot of organizations that have not been in the cloud, the first thing they want to do is deploy teams for remote collaboration. Then records managers and the IM world will come in and play and say, wait a second, how can I make sure the content you're uploading into Teams is compliant? How can I apply the records management and the fine plan to it and automate that. Yes, I do have traditionally because I am a large organization, I had all those IMs and the five plans. How can I take that five plan and apply it into M365? And knowing that the users only live in teams, how can I get the users out of teams to go tag it if I don't have or auto apply for for retention labels? <laughs> um, so you're saying you don't have auto apply because of a license? No, because because or, of how, how let's assume you have an E5 license, right? And but you don't have a SharePoint syntax. And people are our organizations that start with Microsoft Teams as the place to for yeah. collaboration. And if you uh, if you don't have SharePoint syntax, how do you auto tag documents in Teams? It doesn't happen. You have to get out of Teams. How do I even manually tag documents in Teams? Because yeah. I can't even right. do that yet with custom metadata columns. Right. 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 So yeah, that's a great point. Like if people are yeah. storing documents in Teams, to tag that, I have to go to I have to go to open in SharePoint. Yeah. And then open the, the the thing there, and it's just yeah. Steps some people are willing yeah. to do. Yeah. It is. Sorry so no, that a good point. Um, 
So I'm just blue skying ideas. You could default everything on that team to have something and then just force them to go over when it's a change. Is that great? No, it isn't. Uh, maybe it's what you do to start with and then kind of build on that. Um, I don't know. There's no good answer for that. I know auto apply. Uh, if, if you could make it dependent on metadata, could maybe fill that gap, but you can't. We've talked about this before. Auto apply labels. Um, once it's set, it's set, I, I believe. Um, unless there's a difference on there if, if it's a shorter retention period. But yeah. yeah, so I mean, yes, there are gaps, but I think um, we need to speak up. And if, if there is requirements, and that, that's where the modern workplace and the compliance needs are, are basically butting heads with each other. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to bring this up with, with some people tomorrow and say, you know, are we thinking about this? Because if we're telling people to go to teams and I forget what they call teams, their workplace hub or something. I mean, you're supposed to be able to go in there and stay there all day and share your files and chat and, and do your work. Right. Uh, but that should also include the compliance aspect of that as well. So point taken. Um, it's it's a gap, I believe. And for your average knowledge workers, it's tough enough, right? Because we all work in teams every day. We love working yeah. in teams, but I sigh inwardly every time I have to have a conversation about, yes, you can apply a sensitivity level to a team or a SharePoint site, but then that doesn't necessarily automatically tag all of the <laughs> documents that you would share in that team. And oh, yeah. by the way, the documents that you share in a chat or a channel conversation in Teams isn't actually stored in Teams, it's actually stored in SharePoint or OneDrive. Well, get it, right? And it's great functionality, um, but it can be very difficult to try and explain that to the users. And yeah. I'm sorry, but it's an even bigger problem than what we used to have 10 or 15 years ago when we'd be having conversations about getting them to apply metadata in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's still just as hard a conversation today. Um, so I think it's interesting and I love the fact that you separated security and compliance because in many of the organizations that I talk with, it isn't security and compliance. You have your security department, your compliance department, exactly as you said, Joanne, they might not even be there overlap frequently in what they think, they might not be fully aligned on even what they think. Mm. And now you need a program to be able to drive this. And who's driving the bus? Is it security? Is it compliance? Or is it the point, the workforce component where people are actually touching the Office 365 tools? What are you seeing when you talk to customers um, about who drives that bus? Is it security? Is it compliance? Or is the, it the Office 365 or Microsoft 365 owners? It, I mean, I, I see it all over the map. Um, but I would probably say um, it's moving. It, it used to be more security, but I think compliance, risk, privacy are really kind of having a prominent place at the table now. And they're, they're, kind of driving the conversation and really trying to understand, okay, we're in this um, tenant, uh, teach me about what we can control across our environment. So I, I see it kind of moving and switching over to compliance. Unfortunately, I also see IT having a sometimes inordinate 
uh, amount of influence on on some of these programs. And the danger in that is they don't have the experience, typically, um, of these you know security, privacy, compliance, risk um, areas. And uh, I always get this example: if you ask an exchange administrator how to put a hold or save, preserve content in an in exchange, they will tell you a litigation hold every time. So you got to back up from the problem and you know educate yourself on what is the the new capabilities and ideally IT is just kind of a supporting role to help facilitate and implement what those security and compliance teams are are really needing that's a great point i still see IT teams sometimes saying that yeah these other teams don't really make good IT decisions mm. and it's like it's not your place to decide no on the tool used to implement certain compliance controls or even security controls for them. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really does need to be kind of a, we need to get away from these silos of teams mm -hmm. that focus on very specific things and work yeah. more collaboratively across these teams to decide the right tool to use for the right requirement. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think that's where true success comes in is getting that team together, making sure everybody kind of knows we're in this together, we need to figure this out. I spent quite a bit of time working with lots of compliance teams, um, explaining the capabilities in the back end. And when you were, well, explaining them, uh, articulating the back end enough so that they can understand the compliance controls and how you how they kind of lay on top of that. So when you're explaining that Sarah on on the teams and when you share files, that is uber confusing for people. Um, especially if you're a compliance person and you're listening to all of this and then with a mindset of how am I possibly going to control all of these pieces parts of this thing they call teams, right? It's it can be overwhelming. Um, so Lots of times as a consultant, as somebody working with these teams, you really have to um, try to explain it in a way that uh, kind of makes sense in their world and, and help them kind of bridge that gap. But it can be challenging for sure. I think you're on mute, Mike. Sorry, so you've talked about compliance manager and I just want to jump in yeah. here like a follow up question. We get asked this question all the time. What is the actual, what's your definition of the compliance manager role? Like when we talk, when I go and talk to, to companies about deploying M365 and talking about compliance and different roles, uh, they I get asked the question all the time. What does a compliance manager do technically within the actual compliance center? Oh, are you talking about the, the role? of a compliance yeah. manager? Okay, oh my gosh. Um, well, I, I know that... Uh, Doesn't have to be I, the technical details, like what is described, but from a from a compliance perspective, how, what do you define the role of a compliance manager? Well, I would say they um, have a, a good understanding of uh, information protection and information governance uh, as a whole and um, how you're using those controls to implement your um, 
your data classification and the controls you have for each one of those, whether they be manual controls or technical controls, uh, you know, what what are those things? Um, what else? Probably, I don't know. It's a good question. I'm actually never asked that. It's interesting you, you are asked that all the time. <laughs> um, that means it's a good question, Mike. Good question. Yeah. Anyone else? Antonio, chime in on that one. So, so we rarely see a person who has the title of compliance manager or the role yeah. of compliance manager, to be honest. We yeah. see people with the role of chief compliance officer. And yes. that is usually a fairly high level role where yeah. they're responsible for their organization's compliance with all the regulatory standards yeah. that are, are relevant to that organization, right? Yes. And that's, that's typically, um, I'll say a very legally focused role and legally focused is maybe the wrong term, but they know those standards mm -hmm. and those guidelines and they're looking beyond just the M365 space. They're looking yes. at the organization and they'll often yeah. work with internal audit and external auditors to actually audit is the company actually complying with these regulations. Yes. Um, so the notion of compliance manager or, you know, compliance, we see those those terms and the Microsoft roles that you configure for the compliance center, but rarely have I seen someone actually have that as their job role. Mm -hmm. right? but, oh my goodness, is it ever important to have that conversation, which I'm gonna take it, Joanne, back to where you started, which is you need to have that macro level conversation first, because I think it all comes down to who's going to make the decisions about exactly. Um, what types of protections you're putting in place? Are you going to mm -hmm. use default labels? What are they going to be? What are your default retention yeah. periods? Yeah. Uh, and if you don't have someone who conveniently has the title of compliance manager, what's the RACI, right? Who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted, and who's informed? And who yeah. owns is accountable for that decision point? And I know that that's something that we talk about. Is it security, data privacy? Yeah. Um, is it IT? Um, who owns the decision point and who's going to have input on that decision point. So important to define right down and have governance around that's pragmatic so that you know yeah. who's making the call. Because otherwise yeah. you could spend six months talking oh, about sure. it without ever yes. coming to a decision. Yes, I see that a lot is that conversation um, ha never happened. And yeah. you, you get into the throes of the project and you're you know knee deep in details and yeah you need that decision maker at the end of the day because sometimes there are compromises to be made. Um, mm -hmm. And for now, maybe we're going to do this, but we might, you know, look at this six months, a year down the road and, and the decision may be different at then at that time. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And you're going to get people pushing back on rolling out some of those yeah. solutions and yeah. you need to have that decision maker that's going to step up and say, nope, we as an organization decide we are going to do this. Yes. I do this. That's yes. all. Right. It's yeah, compromise is, of course, important, but. Yeah, for sure. I worked at a, um, a, a financial services company as an independent consultant, and they were excellent with um, knowing who the decision maker was. They'd get the right people in the room. Let's make an informed decision. Um, and it's never black and white. It's rarely black and white. There's shades of gray. But uh, they always had somebody, okay, I've heard everything. We're taking option C. And then we went forward and it, it was that, that clarity and that firm decision was most helpful. And ironically, that company um, 
had made such good gains on their compliance score and the security score over time. And I, I mostly attribute it to their clear uh, decision-making um, tree. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. That's so, so important to rolling these tools out. Yeah. You know, whether, whether you make the right decision or the wrong decision sometimes isn't as important as making a firm decision and moving ahead. Yes. Yes, so much so, and, and that's consistent. Because um, yeah. one of the things that um, I have to say to people again and again, and um, it always comes down to, I, start, I started my career as a technical writer, and I'm like, you should have the same definition for your sensitivity labels every single place in your company where they're mentioned. But there are a lot of companies who don't even have that level of consistency. So when you go to your sensitivity dropdown and you roll over a label, that definition needs to match exactly what's documented in your security policy. It has to match exactly what's in your training materials and your documentation. It yeah. doesn't even matter if it's the best definition, but it better be a consistent definition. Yes, yes, else confusion will ensue. Another place to have clear uh, a clear lexicon is when you're working with a customer, um, and I know this for sure when I'm explaining the Microsoft suite of tools and the compliance features is, um, let's let's come up with what we both mean with with certain words. And record is is the first one we need to come to alignment on because what Microsoft calls a record in the technical controls in the back end, is sometimes quite different from what uh, a financial services organization would call a record. So it's words are so important. And when you're having conversations back and forth, and if you're not both crystal clear on what the other person or other um, group is, is meaning, um, it can be really confusing. Uh, so, you know, information worker versus staff user, um, just, Little things really uh, add up to, uh, I think, having that clarity between the two groups. So words, super important. I agree with you, Sarah. Yeah, you've talked about that before, Sarah, having a glossary of terms. Yes. Defined and published. So yeah. everyone understands what those things mean. Yeah. And have it be interpreted by, I'm going to choose my words carefully, someone who doesn't speak security and compliance all day because then they can put yes. it into terms that somebody yeah. logically be able to somehow discern. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, for sure. So Joanne, this has been great. Uh, Mike or Sarah, do you guys have any other questions for Joanne? Well, we can go on for hours. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a couple tough ones in there, but uh, I survived, yay. No, this has Yay. been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Joanne. It's great to see you and hope you're staying well. And thanks so much for spending this time with us and our listeners. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Have a great day. Bye, day. everyone.